just for one second, imagine if that happened and they said, right, I don't know, 300 million or 500 min- million we're sort of spending on Messi. Like, that's the only player you're getting. And, th- and then, like, you've got John Joe Shelby behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. People's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, I have a bad shave. Hello everyone and welcome to the Football Spin with Dion Fanning, Nuruddin Chowdhury and me, Matt Stanger, standing in for Paddy McKenna, who's been undone by the Leitrim Wi-Fi on this fine Super Saturday. You happy with Paddy's substitute, Noz? Well, I, I don't know, I, I feel the future feels uncertain now, because like, I, I really felt as if I'd proved myself in, uh, with uh, Paddy. He's a manager, he, he, he knew that I was the kind of talent that needs uh, an arm over my shoulder, and uh, and now you coming in as a new regime, like you're, you're basically Rafa Benitez taking over Chelsea. I don't. I don't know where I stand. You're going to make me do things I don't want to do, and 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 that's that's happened once or two, once or twice before. But we won't go into that. But yeah, so it's. Uh, I'm concerned. I, this sounds worrying. Like you have worked. You're you're the guy in I the have. dressing room who's worked with the manager before, and you're saying, lads, you want to watch out. Uh, this guy takes, you know, takes no prisoners. He's going to ask us to do things that you won't like. And I, meanwhile, I'm just going to be harking back to the days of Paddy McKenna, um, blaming, cursing the Wi-Fi of Leitrim, uh, which for people in the UK is a, a county in Ireland which has no, doesn't have good Wi-Fi, as we discovered this morning. Uh, and I'll just be harking back to those days and wondering why couldn't, just why couldn't that Wi-Fi just have just given it one last shot instead we're, we've got a new tough taskmaster. He doesn't rate me. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, I, I love the way he, I love the way he's lost the dressing room already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well with that, where else to start but pubs? Yes. Yeah. Will you be enjoying a pint in a match today, Dion? Uh, well, we've had the pubs. I'm in Dublin where the pubs have opened uh, a week ago, but I won't be um, enjoying them uh, for a number of reasons. I thought it was quite funny in the Irish context because. There is, you know, the one thing uh, Irish people really like to do to a kind of irritating extent in my eyes is if they see Britain making a a wrong move, which is very easy to find these days, obviously, there is uh, a great kind of outpouring of of hysteria and, you know, laughter, again, often well-deserved. But I thought it was quite interesting this week because in Ireland this week, there has been a steady stream of people posting pictures of their pints you know on on social media saying the pubs are back here i am with my pint in front of me the the the, the regulations in ireland are kind of like i think you're allowed to spend 105 minutes in the pub and uh you you have to have a meal and all these things which i think are designed to kind of slow down the drinking but i saw anthony fauci the uh the actual intelligence in the american administration and he said recently he said bars bars are a bad thing uh, bars are not good and he was talking about the resurgence of the virus in America and I was looking at these ar- people in Ireland posting pictures of their pints this week and thinking maybe they think if they post the picture of the pint it actually somehow protects them from the dangers of the virus in a bar or in a pub because for so many reasons pubs are bad bars are bad and we understand why they have to open because of the economy and actually I think Chris Whitty was saying this yesterday as well because you know there is that balance but uh, 
having seen that, I was wondering how also these people who had posted their pints would somehow then pivot uh, to kind of laughing at Britain and Super Saturday and the, and the desire to open the pints. I said, well, actually, we probably can't be too, um, we'd have to be a bit more restrained in what we say this week because we've been going on about the pub, how great it is to have the pubs open. We can't then mock Britain for uh, going on about how great it is to have the pubs open. But they'll all, you know, there'll always be a way. Britain will always find a way. And suddenly it's like Super Saturday. Let's escalate. Let's open them at 6 a.m. Let's do something you weren't expecting. You, okay, you've been there and you've been posting your pint and you've been having two pints and you've been going home after and you're out of the pub after 105 minutes and the police in Ireland are going around making sure that people are eating their substantial meals. And then Britain says, 6 a.m., let's be having you. Everybody in. And, you know, oh, yeah, at some point you've got to leave the pub, but we're not really sure when, and we might not enforce it anyway. And you've only got to be indoors if you're with some people from, you know, one other household, but we're also not going to enforce that. And we might turn down the music so you're not shouting. We might turn down the volume on the football so you're not shouting because pubs, indoor spaces, confined spaces, people getting drunk and forgetting the social distancing, people shouting and spitting like I'm doing now in a room with nobody in it. But in a pub, this is what happens all the time. So the idea that this is a place you would want to go to, to watch a football match, to do anything right now, seems insane to me. So I won't be going to watch a football match in a pub, man. <laughs> How about you, Nos? Any temptation after that? Uh, well, 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 I mean, I was, I was just saying to you earlier that sort of uh, be, being a practicing Muslim, like I, I was just thinking, like fuck it, like 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 just because it's because it's super super Saturday, like I'll just join in, like this can be my first ever drink, like like my first ever drink can be like a yard of ale, um, and <laughs> I'll just go all in. You can post a picture of it though; you'd be fine. <laughs> I could, I could. I love that. I, I, I love the post in the picture because it's because it's a uh, it harks back to that um, that tradition that that British tradition of taking a picture and sharing it with your friends or, or social media, whatever, when you're at the airport. Because it used to be at the airport, used to be the tradition of where you can have an early pint. But now it's uh, it's everywhere. Does anybody know the regulations? Because I did see this thing about people don't realise that they're only allowed in the pub with a group from one other household or something. Do you understand that regulation? It's absolutely fucked, mate. I saw a tweet, Rachel Kennedy of, of uh, BBC TV News, uh, she... Uh, she shared a, a screen grab of, a, of of one of the rules that said um, pubs will be allowed to show football, but only with the sound on quietly to stop droplets spreading when people shout. Now that's that's suggesting that because the sound is on quiet on the TV, suddenly everyone in the pub who's watching the game is going to turn into some kind of Marcel Marceau sort of mime artist, <laughs> and sort of every celebration is going to be like this silent sort of like gesturing and sort of like giving each other imaginary high fives and sort of like, uh, like it's just, it's just, it's just, it's ridiculous. Well, one of the things about watching, one of the reasons I never liked watching football in a pub is you actually can't hear anything anyway from, if you want to hear commentary, if you want to hear anything, you can't hear it. So uh, that the sound has been, been muted anyway, but I do feel like the, it is basically Britain, Britain's sort of uh, easing of restrictions is Alan Partridge explaining the 1994 world cup on the day today like that is what's happening and no everyone's like oh so we can go here but with this person here and just move this over here and then we've got you can come in now and you can stand outside in the beer garden but you must stay two meters but you can be one meter over here and then turn down the volume uh put the music off you can come a bit closer now 
Um, and they basically got, uh, you know, the easing of restrictions have somehow, they've taken the Alan Partridge day-to-day clip, which we all know, um, and they've said, right, that's the way we'll model, that's the way we'll ease restrictions. I do love the way they expect anyone who's been in the pub from 6am this morning to be quiet. I'm not sure how uh, achievable that is. But but also, there must be someone right now enjoying what 10am Saturday morning, probably fifth pint. It's still two and a half hours before Norwich Brighton. <laughs> and then, it's re- then it'll really kick off. <laughs> yeah. I suppose, I suppose that's one way to sober up. Just watch that game. The biggest story, though, in, in world football this week uh, isn't anything to do with Norwich Brighton, surprisingly. It's Lionel Messi scoring his 700th career goal. Uh, a Spanish radio network, Cadena Ser, claimed the Argentine has called off negotiations over renewing his current deal and is ready to leave Barcelona next year. Do we give much weight to this story? Or I mean, it comes up every six months or so, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, it, 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 it seems to be, you know, it is that perennial thing, um, Messi's going to leave. Um, but I do feel there's, there's, I don't know if he, I don't think he will ever leave. I'm not sure, but I don't think he will ever leave, except he might decide that he can get some, you know, even bigger uh, final paycheck somewhere. Um, maybe follow Zavi. Follow Zavi looks like he'd be coming back in the other direction. Um, but there does seem to be, you know, like this, this is the thing, as he, as Messi reaches the end of his career, um, he's more, you know, he is more and more prepared to state what he feels about things. And there is a traditional, and this is always because Messi, I suppose because of the whole Messi and Ronaldo thing, and we always saw Ronaldo as brash and egotistical and Messi as unassuming and like this phenomenal team player. And, you know, uh, and the, I think, you know, the greatest player he's ever lived, basically. But there is still this kind of resistance, like once, or does this sort of slight... Uh, frizzon when you read that he is he is doing this or he is speaking out because there is this sort of historical uh, expectation that players know their lane and do what they're told and uh, accept what they should accept uh, and we like Messi. I think there's a kind of when you you know some of the people who like Messi when they compare him to Ronaldo liked him because he wasn't brash, he wasn't egotistical, he wasn't doing it for him. He didn't seem to be doing it for himself. But clearly, there was always going to be an ego there. There was always going to be a desire to get you know get things done in a way that the greatest player who's ever played the game would want things to be done. And as Barcelona do fewer and fewer things in a way that the greatest player who's ever played the game would want things to be done, I would say it's understandable that he starts voicing his frustrations. It, it feels a bit like the last days of Rome, doesn't it, Nos, when you look at Barcelona fans on, on Twitter and, and social media talking about the club in the past few seasons. I, I mean, they've slipped four points behind Real Madrid at the top of La Liga, but there's big problems there, isn't there? There is, I mean, it's it's such a do you know do you know the whole thing like more than a club like it is more than a club because it's, it's an it's an absolute shit show in every way, like like there's, there's something about us uh, there's something about Barcelona who that was Freudian by the way I said Arsenal <laughs> once you said shit mess. once you uh, said shit show Arsenal yeah, automatically it, it just came out like Tourette's like I was just <laughs> I was automatically ready to talk about Arsenal but, but no it's 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 everything it's it's the, it's they they are running a chaotic way 
they use the media in a chaotic way. The fans are f- like it's such a weird fandom. As in, like I know a lot of very sensible um, Barcelona fans, but they, they even they are dismayed by their their fan the, the, their fellow supporters, especially on social media. Um, in, in in some ways, it's it's so toxic and confused, and so it's it, it's as much a melodrama as it, as as it is a club. In spite of all of that, you always got the sense of like it'll still be okay at Barcelona because they've got Messi, and it's and it's always that thing of like. Even sort of in the Champions League, of, or, or, like in recent years, anytime any any club has been drawn against Barcelona, it's been a case of okay, they're not what they want, once were. It could have been worse, so it's good in a way, but they've still got Messi. So it's always that it's always that sense of like they can still win. At, like doesn't matter what the rest of the team is like, doesn't matter what the rest of the club is like, they can still win because of Messi. And and if he was to leave, you, you just wonder what would be left. It would just be like a a big hot mess, a big expensive juggernaut that's that's just that'll that'll collapse into itself. It is extraordinary that thing because I think Messi is reaching that point that he probably got to with Argentina, where soon it'll be like you know he's this is the pressure of it is too much for him. And I remember there was that great piece by Jorge Valdano, the former uh, Argentine striker, about Messi during the World Cup last summer, saying actually you know this isn't a guy who's burdened down by what he's got to do for Argentina. He's done more for Argentina than anybody. And, you know, that, that, if that's true about Argentina, it, it's a hundred times more true it, that, about Barcelona. And, you know, this idea then that he should, like, it, it's amazing. I find it staggering that it, it's always framed in terms of, you know, Messi is speaking out or he's criticised this or, or you know, he's unhappy and he's, and he's he, you know, he's, whatever in that kind of terms like what is what is Messi supposed to do like talk to his line manager you know like is you know like uh, uh, observe the due processes look at a club which as Nas says is kind of dysfunctional and a shit show and a total mess in so many ways and say well these structures are here for a reason you know there's a there's a president and there's a you know general manager and there's a sporting director and I must I better observe my procedures and know my place and speak you know I've done so much for this club but now is not the time to be actually speaking out of turn. Let me put it. Let me let me send a strongly worded memo to my line manager. You're completely right when you when when you say that. Uh, like, why should he sort of like have to defer? Like, like defer to anyone? Because like in in a way, like football treats itself almost like the old like Hollywood of like uh, you've got these massive studios who own these stars, and obviously that's changed now. Like now, like it's it's like the Tom Hanks and the Tom Cruises and and. Uh, and 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 all, all these all these great sort of like a big na- big name stars that sort of uh, dominate sort of how films are made and once they're on board then it then it gets green light and they they have a big say in what happens and and in a way why shouldn't the same happen with football like like I Matt could testify to this like I, like whatever whatever sort of uh, any opportunity I get to sort of like uh, uh, be a prima donna at, at Joe I've, I've done like like he's he's walked into the office where I've rearranged the whole office so I'm sitting on my own. On my own little island of about six desks, <laughs> like, so. So you're comparing yourself to Messi now, or are you just going to add that you're not Messi? Are you just compared yourself to Messi? Well, I mean, again, like I, I, I'm not. I I shouldn't be. I shouldn't have to be the one making that comparison. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me. It's not for you to make that comparison. But no, I I I, I just think these days, like like why shouldn't footballers use their clout, especially at a club like Barcelona, where like the it's it's also transient. Like you, you literally have to vote in. A new president, so they come and go. 
So in a way, like Messi is the one sort of constant that there's been there. So why shouldn't he have a bit of clout or a lot of clout? Has there ever been a case of uh, player president before? <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be great. It also brings up like where he'd go. Like like that's a, that's an interesting prospect because there can't be can't be that many clubs. Here's a thought. Like especially with like the ta- the impending takeover, like Newcastle. Can you yeah. can you Im- can, just for one second imagine if that happened and they said right, I don't know three hundred million or five hundred min- million we're sort of spending on Messi, like that's the only player you're getting, and then and then like you got John Joe Shelby behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my my notes for the running order of the show today, gents. I've got Steve Bruce great appointment dash Noz. So is that something you wanted to speak about, Noz? <laughs> Dion wrote that running order. But I think that's a perfect segue. Take it away, Noz. <laughs> well, I mean, Steve Bruce, great appointment. <laughs> question mark? Question mark? <laughs> no, no. I like it. Like, like it is. It's nice. I think it's nice that that Newcastle are, are doing relatively well. And I, I know it's very short term, and I know, I know it's like perhaps like one or two games, but um, it's nice to sort of see Newcastle fans having something to celebrate because. It's it's such a it's been such a tragic club, sort of in recent years for for loads of reasons, but mainly Mike fucking Ashley um, and anything that a club can normally hold on to when they're not doing great on the pitch has been taken away from them because like even like even just the imagery of the stadium when you've got like Sports Direct going across everything like it's just it's tragic and and there's no way out and like the, and then. They've got this. They've got this slight sort of hope of being taken over, and then even that is so complicated for them because it's, it's, it's complicated in terms of like the admin of it and the possibility of it happening because there's so many different factors involved, and and obviously it's also a moral and ethical minefield for them. And like they didn't ask for any of that. They didn't want all these. Uh, they want. It's not fair on them to suddenly overnight become experts on on sort of world ethics and sort of geopolitical manoeuvrings. It's, 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 it's sort of like it's it's almost typical of the club that even when something good looks like it might happen, A, it might not happen, and B, it's just mixed up in all this, all this other stuff. I agree with loads of what you say there in terms of Newcastle and uh, Mike Ashley and how much they've... Uh, had to put up with as a football club with him and the, you know that's you know the sports direct branding and the stadium just the the uh, like nobody wants to feel when they're going to a football ground that they're actually walking into a sports direct store like nobody wants to feel when they're walking into a sports direct store <laughs> that they're walking into a sports direct store so it's the last thing you want to feel when you're when you're going into a to a football ground and you know there is a he he that that sort of crushing of spirit and uh hope and joy and everything that he's done in Newcastle uh especially hope I think and the idea that you could because there is there, it's a, it's an incredible place for that and it's and even even at its most sort of ridiculous and there was you know huge time spells during like uh like the whole Freddie Shepherd Geordie Nation period when it was like incredibly ridiculous. Like you know, the welcome for Michael Owen, like the crowds pouring in, like the the way Newcastle had this ability Newcastle had to kind of 
more so than Liverpool and these clubs that get a reputation for it, the way they had this ability to kind of own the summer, you know, like Emre signing, like Graeme Souness showing up. Who, was, who did he pick up? I remember being on Sky Sports News, he was collecting. Was it Emre? At the airport. Like, there's just these, these moments and every, all this hoping channeled into this, into these players um, and it inevitably um, falling apart. So... Like that was the that was but that was the kind of natural life cycle. There was something there was still there was still for better and for worse, there was still kind of hope and there was still uh they were at least a, allowed to dream and allowed to be ridiculous. Like that was the thing. They were allowed to be ridiculous, really. Um uh which is, you know, we should we should cherish that. It's it's an important part of uh, life being uh, being allowed to be ridiculous and being uh kind of having ludicrous ambitions and all of that was like Ashley has has robbed it of all that like it has robbed Newcastle of all those things and it is bad for you know it will be a good day for them when he leaves but I think you are perfect like I think there is a perfect line to there is a line to walk between recognizing all that and saying hold on a second if this means we're going to be owned by you know Saudi Arabia and uh, and the the elements that come with that, then I you know as a supporter I'm going to be skeptical about that. Not that actually, and I think it is where I think you know you can point at other people, but that's not the point. Like you can point at like everybody has a responsibility ultimately to sort of call out and to look what that their own. Uh, tribe is doing if you like like this is the thing i think is always like we can all we can all point we can all point the finger and say look at the way these people are doing that or look at those people and look about it's like and this comes out this again is a broader thing than football this is like society you've got to be able to call out your own uh failings your own um the things that you've done wrong or else you know there's, there's no point I think I think that's the, that's the thing. I think the nature of football fans, and and, and this has been sort of uh, shown time and time again by by clubs who have been taken over by dubious owners, is for some reason football fans in general tend to treat owners and anything involved with them in the same partisan, protective, defensive way that they treat supporting their club. So um, you have a strange thing of like where. Where a section, not all, a section of city fans will will, will defend their owners um, um, in terms of what they've done ethically or morally within their within their countries, and and you get a section where, where you get sections of, of Newcastle fans that are doing the same for for the Saudis, even though they've not taken over yet. Um, I mean, th- there are absolutely the exceptions, and there's and there's. There's people who have sort of like spoken out and uh, and and kind of said we're not happy with this. Um, I think I, I think True Faith have been quite vocal in terms of like how they're not uh, they they don't want to align themselves with, with what the Saudis are doing. And again, like I'm in no position to tell Newcastle fans what to feel or what to think. But like in a, like one way of looking at it is as football fans, in some ways you're utterly hopeless. You, you or, or or you've got no. Um, You've got no no real influence in what happens. You can make your you can make your point. You can say how you feel, but essentially things are going to happen like regardless. So sometimes I just wish football fans knew that they could, in a way, in a cynical way, realize that you can have your cake and eat it. 
because because you can a a benefactor or or owner can come in make your make your club successful but you can also speak out about what they're doing in those countries so so basically it puts you in a unique position where people are interested in cuz cuz previous to this no one would really be particularly interested in what somebody from Newcastle would have to say about about um human rights uh, abuses or anything going on in in Saudi Arabia but suddenly because this happens people are interested in what Newcastle fans have got to say on it and and that gives them a platform to kind of say we're not happy about it like we 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 will support our club we are passionate about our club we're happy with the success on the pitch but we are not happy with with um these things that the owners or or these particular countries do so 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 essentially you can have it both ways i think that's right i think the one thing you Again, telling people what to do, but like the idea that you actually become a, a vocal defender of the Saudi regime, whether by proxy or whether by saying, you know, what about this over here in terms of look what else they're involved in or whatever. Like that isn't that isn't the point. You can be happy that Mike Ashley is leaving. You can be excited at the idea of a club. And it's very hard not to get excited. And this is the problem. Like the reason people are you know defending the takeover, the, the the people taking over, are because they're excited at the potential for their club, and that's completely normal. Like that is completely normal. But there has to be a way of doing that that says, "Well, I'm not going to. I'm going to actually. I'm not going to attack anybody who says, uh, you know, I don't think it's you know Saudi Arabia or or, or or bodies linked to you know linked to Saudi Arabia should be taking over this club." Uh, you kind of say, right, this is this is stuff we've got to listen. And maybe you can, yeah, maybe you're right. And maybe you can uh, you can have some influence, not in terms of, I don't think you can change. I don't think Saudi Arabia is going to change because of what no. uh, Newcastle United supporters say or any, anybody says, but you can actually raise that so the very nature of the thing that they may be doing or we see, get, we, we see done in other situations where there is sports washing, the very nature of that sports washing becomes harder to exercise. You often hear sort of cliches about how Newcastle's a unique club and um, you know how it means more to, to their supporters. But we've worked with a Newcastle fan. We've shared an office with one, haven't we, Nos, for the, for the past couple of years now. Um, you could say the Iniesta for your Messi. And I think I've really learned how much those supporters actually do care about the club. And it does seem to me the, the the passion is a lot stronger than than it is for other teams. No, you're completely right, uh, Matt. Um, the thing that strikes you whenever you come in contact with Newcastle fans or even on social media is it's such there's so much potential there. The flip the flip side of the whole takeover thing is it makes so much sense to take them over because there's so much potential there and there's such there's such a an energy about the about the club. Um, one thing that I that I certainly feel is as much as Newcastle fans are massively protective to a fault to the to the point where um, they are they are quite sensitive to any criticism of their club or their fandom or anything. They are actually extremely patient, and they've had to endure a lot because because that's been the situation at the club for 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 decades, but especially the last few years. So. They've had to. They've had to deal with that, and they've had to. They've had to be patient. I just in English football, there's always been two clubs 
that have had incredible potential and potential that's never really been uh, been fulfilled, especially in, in in recent decades. And that's Leeds United and Newcastle United. Both of those, they they both they both one club cities. They both got incredibly passionate fans, and they and and they, and they both potentially, if an owner came think he came and did things right, have. I've got lots of money that could sort of that they could organically generate because they've they've got history, they've got large, large sort of swathes of local fans, but also they they do have a, a fandom sort of internationally because of the popularity of, of English football. And in terms of in terms of Newcastle, I think this last week or so almost underlines the potential there because all they've done is is sort of perform in a couple of games, and suddenly. The mood is so jubilant and excited. Like I, I remember when United first sort of like Manchester United first came came into Europe after the after the ban. I was so excited about a about playing European clubs and being in European competition. But one one of the things that I was really excited about was when any uh, f- like foreign sort of newspaper or media agency said anything about M- Manchester United because it would it would just it would be a massive buzz that. Like oh my god! Like they they think they think we're good. Like oh my god! This uh, this uh, newspaper in, in in Italy thinks we're good. And like I, I was looking the other day, um, and New, Newcastle fans are kind of I've seen articles where where uh, there's been like I think the the Chronicle have kind of done how how the rest of the country reported or how the, how the how the national media reported on Newcastle's win against against Bournemouth now. On one level, that sounds ridiculous. On, on another level, that just shows how proud, how proud Newcastle and Newcastle's fans can be over the littlest thing, and 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 how potentially excited they could be if they were actually good and had and actually had something to be excited about. Like if you take like a Alance Maximin, like what, like they they absolutely adore him. Like so suddenly he's become their a massive superstar there. They've all, I mean, they've loved him since he came, really, because he's been so great on social media. He's 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 kind of bought into the city, bought into the fandom, bought into the rivalry with Sunderland. Um, he's done great things with food banks and stuff, and like and like shown that he cares about people um, in the area. But also suddenly, after ages, they have got this totem. They've they've got this player to be excited about, and 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 he's a genuine talent, and he's young, he's exciting, he's French, he's. He's he's there's so much about he's he's a winger and they've got a great tradition of having wingers and and number nines at Newcastle so so this player who's who's just showing a bit of form and showing that he's got something about him they are raving about him and and they it just shows that like we talk about Messi we talked about Messi earlier Newcastle fans in in a strange way Newcastle fans appreciate Alan Saint Maximin Maximin more than than Barcelona fans uh, appreciate Messi. I want to uh, discuss a new feature with both of you. Uh, it's called Championship Corner. <laughs> you're going. You're running with this. Get Leitrim. Get me back to Leitrim. Get Leitrim back it. on the line. Get Paddy back. Paddy, we need you. No, I'm squeezing it in while Paddy's not here, and he's going to have to continue it with the next show. But uh, I mean, we couldn't overlook another Northeast club uh, this week. Neil Warnock uh, at Middlesbrough. Uh, he's got off to a mixed start there. Uh, they lost the hole the other night, but uh, had a win in his first game. But there was a fantastic interview uh, in The Athletic where uh, Kevin Blackwell, one of sort of long-serving assistant, I think he's been at quite a few clubs with him over the years, uh, he, he talks about how... I'm going to read the full quote to you here. 
Uh, I wasn't waiting next to the phone. I'd spent most of lockdown getting jobs done on the house, and this was a big one. This is him installing his outdoor kitchen at his house. I mean, I don't know what an outdoor kitchen is, but this outdoor kitchen, this barbecue, uh, it wasn't a priority for Blackwell, though. He said, listen, fuck the kitchen. I can build a kitchen anytime. This is about Mid- Middlesbrough Football Club. I, l- I love as well how it, he, it, you know, and it was necessary there. If you're going to actually just dump all over the kitchen, he had to go for the full Middlesbrough Football Club. Like it was, this is not to, he had to, he had to do, he had to add in the football club there because this was to emphasize, you know, the, the, the fact that, you know, outdoor kitchens come and go, but these opportunities. I also, I wonder as well, like, it's just interesting that quote that because it's like, did, did the interviewer like make it a case for working on the outdoor kitchen? Like, and he said, you know, but what about the outdoor kitchen, Kevin? Fuck the kitchen! Fuck the kitchen! Fuck you and fuck the kitchen! And he just said, "I'll just put it in. Listen, fuck the kitchen." I just, I, I just love, I, like, I love that quote. And to be honest, I'll, I'll say this on record: if, if Middlesbrough, if Middlesbrough, if Middlesbrough fans don't have a banner saying "fuck the kitchen," this is Middlesbrough Football Club. They deserve to get relegated. Wigan, have we seen what's happening there? It seems, uh, I mean, we, you know, we've spoken quite a bit about shitstorms on today's show, but but Wigan. Uh, an absolute disaster, really, slipping into administration only seven days after a new owner came in. It's an extraordinary story. Uh, and, you know, the Rick Parry um, video that's been going around, which has been confirmed as Rick Parry, you know, talking about the rumours about it uh, and every aspect of it. Like, the, it's um, it's a terrible... Um, it's a terrible story for a football club that seemed to be... Um, they they had some hope. They actually felt they were getting out of trouble, and then this that they were hit with this. Um, so I think it's uh, no, I think it's 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 bleak. And again, when we talk about football and you talk about ownership and you talk about all this, like this is, uh, like you know, this is the world now, and this is why you know you can kind of you actually you can be disillusioned with the whole thing rather than saying you know this is a Newcastle United problem or this is. Uh, Manchester City problem or whatever, like you go you and you go down to clubs like Wigan who are who are you know they're not even getting owners who are actually going to promise them that much. It's just they've got new owners and you don't know the structure of that ownership or you don't know uh, the purpose behind that ownership and then, and something like this happens and people's livelihoods uh, are are taken away from them and. And it's no, it's a, it's a terrible situation. I know we joke about sort of Championship Corner, but like the, the one thing that makes English football great as compared to the rest of the world, like there's other leagues you could sort of argue, like which is the best league in in the world, which is the most entertaining to watch, uh, all these things. But the one thing that sets, I think, English football apart and British football apart is depth. It's the it's the it's the fact that. That there's there's such depth of teams. There's there's, there's over ninety teams that are supported well. Like you, you can you can go to Italy and France and Spain and other places. And sometimes sometimes the clubs in the in the in the top leagues struggle to sell out and 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 really have a problem with the number of fans that are are, are in these these big cavernous stadiums. But in in English football, it's always been the thing that that all these smaller clubs. In like the 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 third or fourth tier, like they they had really impressive uh, attendances 
because simply because they meant so much to those areas. And and as soon as you take that away, what's inevitably going to happen is is kids growing up in in those areas are going to automatically become satellites to these bigger clubs that are in these nearby cities. And then what are you left with? You, you're just left with these these massive franchises that have got no no sense of uh, locality because 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 it's it, all, all, all sense of regional sort of rivalry, all sense of uh, regional pride is taken away because a, a big chunk of what was underpinning that is removed, and and that's why everyone should pay attention to what's happening at Wigan and care about what's happening to Wigan and and be angry about what's happening to Wigan because it's going to be your club next. That was very eloquently put, but I'm just still reeling from the fact that you said we were joking about the Championship Corner. <laughs> Play the jingle, Matt. Play the yeah. jingle. We, we should end on a positive note uh, for Wigan fans and all football fans. Um, and I, I can't think of any better way to do that than to just play this Dutch commentator screaming Dennis Bergkamp on the anniversary of his goal against Argentina at the 98 World Cup. Thanks very much to Dion Fanning and Nuridine Chowdhury. We've been a Football Spin. You can listen again on Sunday evening and subscribe on all your usual podcast platforms.